Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrowcom slash ACAST. That's burrowcom slash ACAST. burrowcom slash ACAST. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, welcome. On today's show, we have an outstanding individual and his name is Pat Slattery. This guy is an international world speaker and he has spent 25 years in business. Probably a little bit more now at this stage, but he's an outstanding individual. And I got to meet him there a couple of months ago through a, a friend. And I was on an event with someone. And he said, do you know this guy past Latter? And I said, no, no, I don't. You got to, got to interview him. He's, he's fascinating and interesting. And I got to meet with him through the outstanding network that he set up. And this past few months, got to spend some time in the passion his seminars and his meetings. And he's, he's amazing. So hello, hello and welcome to the show, Pat. How are you doing today? I'm absolutely outstanding, Irene. It's great to be here. Thanks. Thank you for inviting me. Pat, you grew up in Limerick in Balanti with uh, nine brothers and six sisters. Tell us about what life was like growing up in, in that time. Yeah, well, I mean, look, life was was good for what we knew, right? I mean, obviously, when when you look at where we grew up, we grew up in a three-bedroom council house in, in Limerick City, well, on the outskirts in the suburbs of Limerick City. You know, growing up in a large family, I mean, we, we had we had lots of great memories, Aaron. You know, I mean, we didn't have a lot, but the reality is we didn't know we didn't have a lot. We thought it was normal, you know. So so we tend to get on with our life. But, you know, I mean, in a, as you can imagine, you know, how we slept, you know, how we ate in terms of, of life being kind of different to most people. It was two up, two down. You know, we, we had four, four family members sharing one bed, you know, as kids growing up. And, you know, and again, first up, best dressed, right? You know, so there'd be, there'd be lots of fights for socks, <laughs> you know. But generally, it was a good enough life, you know. I mean, you know, we were generally happy in, in ways, you know, as I said, we didn't have a lot. There were certain times we, we had to go without. And what it seemed to, to what most people had that we didn't have, have my, my dad had broke his back at 42 years of age so we were brought up on a, a 70 pounds a week uh, pension that he, that he was given 
Um, so there was no compensation claims or anything. Well, at least if there was back then, my dad didn't, didn't know about it. You know, we just got by. We, we got by and we found ways to get by. And you know, we always had laughs. We always had fun in our lives, you know. And of course, growing up in, in Ballinanti, where I grew up, uh, my, my back garden was Thomond Park, which is the, the home of Munster. And my belief is Irish rugby as well, right? So, you know, we had lots of playgrounds. And, and, uh, and times, I guess, were a little bit different than times are a little bit easier everybody knew everybody everybody got involved with everybody in the community and everybody looked after each other you know so you know we, we grew up in a, in a wonderful environment where people always took care of each other and you know when you're out in the street everybody knew you everybody's neighbor everybody's mum knew who you were you know or, and, and vice versa so everybody kind of took care of each other which which is fascinating times when we look back and, and see how things were growing up as I said you know we 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 ended up in the morning we you know our, our morning ritual was porridge <laughs> and that was it <laughs> you know we never had uh, weed bix or Cheerios or any of this, you know. It was porridge, porridge, porridge for most of our life um, until, I suppose, we got to a point in life where we were all earning money to bring some money home and support the family as well. But uh, but look, I mean, there were happy times, Aaron. I, you know, I can look back and, and I can pick the tough times out of, out of other life and there were tough times, that's for sure. There were times we went without and we, and we felt it, but for some reason, I only remember the good stuff. I, I only see the good stuff and, and I feel the good stuff, you know, so it, it was a wonderful life, you know, it was a wonderful life. And, you know, growing up with so many brothers and sisters and, you know, most most of what I got to wear were, were hand-me-downs, right? And, you know, it was most of what I got to wear were actually too big for me when I was a kid, right? Because my older brothers might have had something that was gone too small for them, but it was still too big for, big for me. But I was next in line, so, you know, my jackets, my jumpers were all a little bit too big, you know? So that was life growing up with nine brothers and six sisters. And look again, as I said, there, there were wonderful times, happy times. Lots of lots of very fun memories of, of simple things, you know, the simple things we used to do, you know, that we didn't need very much really to have happy times. And reminds me uh, recently, I, I had a friend of mine on, we were doing a, a, a bit of a concert, an online concert, actually. She's a magnificent singer. And she started off with singing the, the Georgia on my mind. And, you know, we often think about, you know, going back to find a simpler place and time. And the reality is it was simple back then. You know, it was a simpler place, simple times for us. But then as kids, that's what you would expect, right? So that's what life was like growing up. Probably with your, your dad breaking his back and everything, probably had to go up and earn some, some money to help the family continue and prosper in some way. Yeah, well, I mean, we, we were always, look, you know, as kids, we were little entrepreneurs, right? And, you know, I remember, oh my God, you know, do, doing little things. Was, we used to call it the jungle sale, right? You know, so I mean, a little jumble sale or, or in America, they know it as a yard sale, right? Or a garage sale. We just find things we could sell to people for pennies, you know, just to just to do different things. We do odd jobs, you know. Even as a kid, I mean, we used to go cutting gardens, digging digging gardens for people for pennies. When we think about, you know, uh, what it was, but those pennies meant a bit bit of a difference to us. And at eight years of age, I started delivering milk. I was doing a milk round, and twelve years of age, I was selling bread door to door. I was selling four hundred sliced pens per day. But really, when, when I got to 14 years of age, it, it was quite different. I left school at 14 and I went working in, in full-time employment in a hotel. And, and that was quite different. And that was that made a, a, such a positive impact in life, in my life and in my, my family's life. And, and in particular, my mum, because, you know, most of my family would have moved out of home early in life and moved on in life. And, you know, some of them got married very young in life and, and, uh, and got jobs and kind of went on and built their own life as well. So I mean, at 14 years of age, I got a job and was able to come home and hand up some of my paycheck to my mum and I could see the difference that that made and you know back then I was my, my week's paycheck was £35 a week and that was my full week's pay and uh, and to be able to come back and hand up you know I was handing up £15 of that to my mum 
And to see the difference that it made for her was incredible. So that was kind of a driving force too for me to say, you know what, I realised that if I allow myself the ability to earn more income, I can do more to support more people and particularly my own family. And that's something that, that was a driving force for me too, you know. And you, you do, you learn to do what you need to do to survive when you're growing up in an environment like that. And nothing is beneath you. And I think this is something that's really important for people to understand. You, when you have a very humble life, that there's nothing beneath you, that you will do everything and anything it takes in order to succeed at what you need to succeed at. And when you come across obstacles or challenges, which most people do, it's just another day of survival when you grow up in an environment like that. So you just get on with it. You overcome it a hell of a lot easier, you know. That was kind of the next step, I guess, into reaching 14 years of age, going out and earning an income. And that was kind of the journey, I suppose. That's where things really, really changed for me in terms of my my opinion of the world, if that makes sense, and, and how the world operates and how people operate and how people think, you know. Why did you leave school? Well, simply because, well, I mean, it was a bit of a mutual decision, Aaron. <laughs> I didn't want to go back and I don't think they wanted me to go back either, right? I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have been the, the best student. I wouldn't, you know, and I can look back on it and, and I can think about the, the beatings I got at school, right? I mean, the, the treatment I got from teachers, from teachers was just ridiculous. But I kind of look back at my life and I think, you know, why, why? Because I wasn't doing the work, right? I wasn't doing work at night, homework or so forth, or turning in essays or turning in projects. And the reality is, is now when I know what I know, it just bored me. I wasn't, I didn't feel I was learning and I didn't feel it was for me, even like. And they certainly didn't feel I was for them either, right? Because I would not have been a conformist. And I certainly, you know, I, I certainly wasn't doing what they required me to do. So at 14 years of age, again, getting the job and, and knowing like, the first day I brought my paycheck home and I handed up some of my paycheck to my mum, I knew there and then that I was never going to lose this job. I had, in my, I had my heart set, my mindset, because I thought, you know what, I can get through this summer. I started the job as a summer job on the last day of school. And I just felt I didn't want to lose it. I was used to having money now as well. I had income. I could go, go and buy nice clothes or buy food or buy whatever I wanted to buy. I had the money to do it, which I it wasn't, which wasn't familiar to me um, growing up. So I, I knew if I continued to do this, I could probably make a better change and give people a better opportunity. So I chose to keep that job by being the best it could be. And when the summer term was over, and I spoke to the manager of the hotel, and he said, "Yeah, you can keep the job. You want to stay?" So I kept my job and and I uh, went home and told my parents I was leaving school. And I think they kind of knew anyway it wasn't the best place for me to be. You know, it was probably um, may may keep a few teachers sane if I wasn't at school anymore. The reality is for me, though, Aaron, was being able to make a difference, being able to keep bringing home that paycheck and having a positive impact in my parents' life, my mum's life in particular. And uh, and that obviously was having an impact in my, my younger siblings too. So that's why I left school, you know, and, and that, that's really the be all and end all. I wasn't, I won't say I wasn't learning at school. Of course I was in some ways, but it wasn't bringing me to where I needed to bring me. And, and I don't believe that I, I, I would have learned any more to serve me to the way my life has served me and my life experience has served me. You must have felt the responsibility that at that young age, bringing home money to the family, comparing to the family, doing the opposite for you. I won't say I felt responsibility, but I, I felt invincible, and I felt there was nothing impossible for me anymore. And I and, and I loved every, I loved it. I loved being able to do it, and I loved, you know, I mean, I, I obviously the, when I saw I was getting paycheck, I, I worked as many hours as, as I could be given, and in order to earn more money, you know, and the, and the money was making a difference. That was certainly um, the truth in, in terms of where I was at. I don't think I, I felt responsible. I, you know, well, there's a level of responsibility to younger siblings when you're growing up too. You want to be a role model to them, and you want to. Try and encourage them, particularly when you're growing up in the environment that I grew up in. 
and you want to be you know leave them with some inspiration for them to be able to do something or, or challenge themselves at least you know and all you can do as, as I keep saying to people right now what the world needs more of is, is try to be a role model of some sort but go out there and just be the best you can be and and, uh, and I never really gave it thought in terms of whether I'd be responsible for anybody or responsible for other people's outcomes I certainly wanted to help people. You know, I, I found friends of mine growing up in my area. I, I helped them get jobs where I was working too. And and, uh, and that was certainly something that was, how would I say, um, rewarding, extremely rewarding rather than responsible. That makes sense. Probably at the age of 14, having a job where you get the freedom of having fancy clothes and having food and, and the choice of that age in an environment that was kind of different as well. Well, yeah, but the funny thing is, you know, in the environment I grew up in, getting a job at 14 wasn't that unusual. And then even when I look back and I think about it, I mean, I thought I was destined to go to London, right? Because when I was growing up, you know, most of my friends, when their brothers reached 14, like 15, really, 15 and 16 years of age, most of them used to get on Slattery's coaches. I don't know if you remember Slattery's coaches, right? No relation of mine. But Slattery's coaches was always the coach that you get if you wanted to go to London. Most people couldn't afford to fly to London back then. The flight cost of a flight was ludicrous. And I think it was about forty pounds to get the bus to London. And people would get on the bus uh, on Slattery's coaches, as it turned out it was Slattery's, but the main transport uh, company that were, were bussing people to London. So a lot of my, my friends, older brothers and siblings at 15, 16 years of age, would head off to London and they get the bus to London. And, and you know, the reality is that's probably the last time you'd ever see them. The, the freedom of travel and the ability to travel wasn't like what it is now, you know, and, and affordable as it was now. So generally when somebody got on, uh, we used to say when they got on the Slattery's coach, you never see them again. Sometimes we used to we used to sneak into the city early in the morning because the bus used to leave very early from, from a, a shopping centre, Spates shopping centre, which is now done stores there on, on um, the end of Henry Street, Lower Henry Street in Limerick. And that's where the bus stop used to be. And you go to see who's getting on the bus and you'd wave and you're waving goodbye to these people. And, you know, and you, it was really waving goodbye because you had never had an expectation to see them. So it wasn't unusual for people my age, I guess, other than I happened to find a job in Limerick and I didn't have to emigrate, which I'm, I, I will always be grateful for the, the fact that I didn't have to do that. Because my mind and growing up, is that's what we were destined to do. I have three of my older sisters and three of my brothers emigrated, right? You know, so because that was what happened, that's what they've done. And right now there's still two two of my sisters and three of my brothers who live in the UK and have done for 30 years plus. You know, so it, it changes people's lives and, and you know, and, and that's, I guess that's just the way it was back then. But for people at 15 or 16, it wasn't that unusual in our environment for them to go out to work. So I didn't, you know, there was obviously a nervousness about it, right? I mean, I was going into a, into a hotel, which was Cruises Hotel in Limerick, which was, was the hotel, really. It was the, it was the Savoy, like, you know, that most people know about. And, and I was nervous going in there, whether I'd won, whether I'd be accepted and whether I'd be capable and all these other things that go through your mind. But once I settle in and I realize, you know something, because I guess what, what I decided, Aaron, on day one, really, well, actually, I'll tell you, like, it wasn't on day one. It was actually the day I got my first paycheck, right? because I never forget the feeling of having that. I was so nervous with that paycheck. But when I when I saw that money and then I got paid to do what I was doing, I just decided I have to keep this job, have to keep this job. So what do I, if I have to keep this job, what do I need to do to keep this job? And for me, I just decided I have to be absolute best that I can be. I have to go in there every single day and deliver and know that I am committed 100% to being the best at what I do. I'm going to do such a good job that the chances of me ever losing that job are slim and none. And I just committed to give them 100%. There was a level of responsibility maybe there that I felt <clears throat> that I was challenging myself every day to go in there and be better today, be better today, be better today, no matter what was going on. 
And I think that's something that has served me throughout my whole journey in life, actually. And, and that's what I would say to people or to your listeners who are listening to this is just give yourself a chance to be the best you can be. And that, and that doesn't mean, by the way, that there's not somebody who would do a better job than you. That does not mean that there's not somebody who could do a better job than me. But nobody can be a better me than me. Nobody can be a better you than you. And if you give yourself that chance to allow yourself to be the best version of yourself, the best that you can be, then let me tell you this, people will gravitate towards you. When you come from a different place, you come from a higher value, you're operating in a higher value. And when you operate in that place of higher value, higher value opportunities tend to bring themselves to you. So this is something that, that, that I, I guess in, uh, in the beginning, maybe that was the responsibility that I had to practice being better, I had to practice being better. And then it became habitual and it just became natural. It felt natural. And it was, it was a constant learning process, meeting people, listening to people, understanding people, learning how to communicate with people. And this, is, this was happening in the background without me being aware of it. But it has certainly served me uh, tremendously well throughout my life and throughout my business too. Tell us about how you moved from someone working in a hotel to becoming mm-hmm. a bouncer. Yeah, well, that's an interesting story, right? Because I was a bouncer in in a nightclub when I was only 15 years of age. And I've, as you say, I have nine brothers, right? So most my brothers would have been bouncers in nightclubs. Are, um, now they call them crowd control technicians, right? But uh, we were known as bouncers. But when... Uh, Somebody didn't turn up to work one night, and I, I, you know, I was, I was quite a big kid, right? I used to work out a lot and played rugby for most of my childhood, and I, you know, I come from a fairly big structured family, if that makes sense. So I was quite big for my age, and uh, and in fairly good shape. And my eldest brother came to me one night, and he said, "Try on that blazer." So I put on the blazer. The blazer fit. I qualified as a bouncer, and so I, I started working as a bouncer, 15 years of age. And again, I took the same attitude that I took in, into working in that hotel. That you know, for me, I had to be the best. I had to be the best I could be. Got to get out there and deliver it. And, and for being a bouncer, I just thought, you know what? The one thing I want to make sure is that everybody, everybody gets to know me. Everybody gets to like me. Not that I needed. I didn't need that level of attention. It's just that I knew I could get on exceptionally well with people by doing this. And I, I would take every job. If I go work on, on anybody's premises and anybody's business, I treat it like I treat it if it was my own. And uh, and I just decided I'm going to give a hundred percent to these people, to everybody, to everybody. And if somebody takes a chance on me, and uh, and then you know what? I'm never going to let them down. So at 15 years of age, yes, I became a bouncer. And because I took that attitude into that industry, I had a lot of different management and owners of hotels and nightclubs and bars, fast food outlets. Everyone coming to me looking for me to go working for them. So I took on extra jobs, right? I had left the hotel at this stage and uh, I ended up having five jobs. I also worked in the Limerick Leader newspaper office, right? So I worked there in the printing office. And then as soon as I finished doing the printing, I used to work for the distributor doing the, the newspaper runs. And then in the evening time, I used to go working in different clubs and bars and restaurants working in security. So I, had, I ended up with five jobs. At 16 years of age, I left home and I, mo- I moved into an apartment in Limerick City because I had so many jobs. I couldn't get home in time to have my dinner and, and even get changed sometimes to get to the next job. I became a workaholic, you know. Every single day, people were knocking on my door, you know, asking me, you know, would you come working for us? Would you come working for us? And, and the money was going up and up and up all the time, right? So soon I was making maybe four times in uh, my weekend what I was making for a full week's work in a hotel. And soon I was making four times the money that most people are making in, in a full-time job in a factory or in any job, really, you know. And before he discovered it, I ended up having a business, right? I was employing guys, I was employing, you know, I, I think before I was 18 years of age, I had about 25 doormen working for me. I was controlling five nightclubs. I was still too young to get in, right? So that was quite fun. But again, it's down to taking that attitude, the, the, the attitude with you that, that you can be the best you can be and, and going out there. And I think, you know, the Brian Tracy often talks about it and he says, you know, you've got to get that service first attitude. And that was it for me. I wanted, I wanted to serve. 
And the funny thing is, the more I got that service first attitude, the money started taking care of itself. You know, I stopped chasing the money and I started chasing service. And when I started delivering more on my service, the money started taking care of itself. So again, it's about understanding that higher place of value in terms of what are you bringing to the table? What, what value are you offering? And understanding service first and value first. And the money takes care of itself. And it, and it has, and it has happened many, many times. So yeah, it was an interesting journey at 15. It wasn't always fun. It was there were tough times in the eighties. Uh, working as a doorman in a nightclub back in the eighties, you know, it was there. There were tough times, you know, and you and you had to, you know, literally, literally had to fight for your money, you know. So there were certainly different times, you know. In becoming the security and the bouncer guy and creating the business, where do you feel like you had to, to chase the money to be successful in some way? Initially, yes. In, I mean, initially, it was the money. Money was a motivating factor for me. Simply, well, when I say the money was a motivating factor, I was chasing the money, but money was never a motivating factor. It's what the money could do, and it's the difference that money was making in my life and making in other people's lives. And and as I started growing the business, you know, I, I mean, I, I ended up even having, I took a full time job in a factory. I used to work in a foundry and still ran my my part time business. When my part time business was making eight times the wages I was making in my full time job, you know. But again, I had bought into the whole mindset. Most people would have had was, you know, get yourself a good job and 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 make sure you guaranteed your wages at the end of the week. And, and I, I bought into that. I won't say nonsense because I understand for some people it's important for them to have a job. But for me, it, it was certainly getting in the way of my growth. And but I kept that job for eight years and and literally worked around the clock again. You know, and, and, and I was simply chasing the money. I, I, I just wanted more money so I could fulfill my dreams, if you like. I could have the things that I never had. I could have the luxuries that I never had, and I could share them with other people. I had the ability to, to, to use it, I suppose, in ways that I was never capable of using money. I, I could make people's lives better by using money. And, you know, and I understand when we talk about money, some people say, you know what, money is not the answer. And it's not the answer, by the way. However, it certainly makes life an awful lot easier. Most people I talk, when I talk to people about stress and I talk about the things that they're stressed about, usually money can take care of it. You know, and I think, you know, unfortunately, what has happened to most people, and, and, and this is worldwide, it's not just an Irish thing. And I think, I believe it's worldwide because I've spoken to people from many countries and, and I've discovered this with most people, that simply most people haven't learned how to become friends with money. And because we, most people, and if you look at the majority of people here, the majority of people are brought up in an environment where either they didn't need it or they didn't have it, right? And either either way, if you didn't need it or you didn't have it, it creates an emotion around money. And, you know, and for those who didn't need it, when they lose it, they don't know what to do. Most of them don't know what to do and how to get it back, right? And that creates problems. The other people who never had it and but want it end up doing certain things that they shouldn't do in order to have it. So, you know, we have to understand what money does and how it divides people as well. But it's all down to how people think about around money and how people feel around money and, and understand that it's 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 not the money, it's what the money will do. You know, and when we talk about people's motivation, people are motivated by what they're going to get out of this. Unfortunately, if you forget this and don't realize this and you're constantly chasing the money, you will always be chasing money. And you will always be working really hard for your money. And you will always be on that, what we call on the treadmill, right? Just pushing yourself, pushing yourself, pushing yourself. And without realizing what's really important. And what's really important is life, is your lifestyle and enjoying life and having the time to enjoy life and having a quality of life. But not only having a quality of life, it's having a quantity of time in quality time. Whereas most people try to squeeze a little bit of quality time into their life. For me, you know, I understand the value of money now, not the power of money. And I think it's really important that we see the difference because people think that money is power. And it's, it's the value of money. And when you understand the value of what it can do, that can give you certain power. Power is what you want. 
But for me, it gave me the power to make a difference. And, and you know, and, and they go on and continue to build a business and taking, you know, I, I employed about 100 people, at least from the area I came from. I took them out of that area, helped them, got them to see a different, got them a different opportunity in life, got them, you know, helped them allow them to, to find their own homes, to buy their own homes, they allow their children to have a better better start in life that they didn't have. And, and that's the value that I got from it rather than the power I got from it, if that makes sense. It sure does. And at what stage did you realize in your life that, look, I have enough money, but now it's time for me to serve and for me to be outstanding in some way? Okay, I'm never going to have enough money, Aaron, got to tell you. <laughs> right? um, because, I, and, I, and I say that in, in a way, like, I, I think I, I realized, when did I realize that money wasn't the most important thing? Honestly, I think was when I when I was in my early 20s and I, I was out building a business and I got sick, right? I got really sick. And, um, and I spent four months on the flat on my back and four months on a liquid diet right after having surgery in my stomach. And I realized this is crazy, right? But I still didn't know how to change everything that was going on because I didn't want to lose the money, right? I, in, in ways, I, I won't say I didn't become addicted to the money, that's for sure. No, I wouldn't say that, but, but I became used to having that kind of money and I became familiar. And there was always a fear of losing it too. And sometimes in the fear of losing it means you could end up losing it, right? And uh, as I was growing and growing my businesses, I, I, I suppose came across a lot more challenges. And then I kind of thought to myself, you know, I have to find a better way. I have to find a better way. So I had to find a better way to get back my life. But I didn't want to lose the income. And when I actually got focused on creating a better life, I, uh, everything changed. I started finding myself a lot more time to enjoy my life. But ironically, I started making more money. And now, I guess I mean, part of the question I think you asked is when did I realize service first? It was always service first. It was always service first. And I knew that people pay for service. But people pay exceptionally well for exceptional service. And I think that's that's what people have to understand. For me, it was always service first, always. And sometimes I, I, I worked on jobs that I didn't make money on, probably lost money on. But it was always service first. That's crucial. But when I really, got, I suppose, captured that and, and got to understand it, I became more purposeful about it. And, um, and when I look back, uh, I guess, in, in my life, Aaron, and I look at my values and what's really important to me, I think I was always serving people. I, I was always serving people. And, uh, and that was my driving force. And that's why, I guess, that's why I became successful in the areas I became successful in. But service was always something that was of, of importance to me, even when I didn't understand what it was. But once I, I decided to do it more purposefully, then again, more and more opportunities start to come away and, and things start to grow. And, and the opportunities that still come today, I mean, I don't. there isn't a day that goes by that someone doesn't present an opportunity to me, you know? The difference this time is I don't jump in, right? I don't jump in and say yes. Matter of fact, I say no to almost most opportunities now because I value my life and I value the people that are important to my life. And it's like uh, one of my clients, a lady you know, Karen Newton, uh, recently wrote a book and asked me to write the foreword for the book. So I was reading the book and, uh, and there's a message there that I resonated with. And, and uh, you know, I, I, a message that I was became very clear about many years ago. And uh, But she has it in the book and it really reminded me. And it simply said that most people, and that's the majority of people. So you got to think about the majority of people that you know or meet on a day-to-day -day basis. The majority of people that you pass on the street, right? The majority of people that you see, no matter where you are at a concert a festival a sports event walking down a busy shopping street in a shopping mall the majority of those people do not die of old age the majority of those people die of an underlying illness which says that actually the majority of people don't make it to old age and to me that's sad and, and that, to me it's a shame to see people working their whole lives away to maybe get a couple of years at the end of it to enjoy it 
So that's why I said, thought for me, you know, you know what? I want to enjoy my life. I, I love life. I love spending thing, time doing things I love doing with the people that I love. And I absolutely love it. And time is probably your your, your most valuable commodity. You can't you can't spend it differently. You can't uh, save time. You can spend it differently for sure in terms of what you do and how how you incorporate time, the things you do with it to the time you have throughout your day. So like we have 24 hours in a day, right? What, what time are we now? It's almost... I'm 32. Right, so there's three and a half hours and two minutes of that day gone already. Can't change that, Aaron. No, you can't. Right, so we've got 20, uh, 20 hours and 28 minutes left. What are you going to do with it, right? What are you going to do today? What are you going to do today? Actually, I think I have it here. What What can you do today to improve your life, right? Maybe it's set goals, make better choices, do more, be the best you can be, right? So what can you do today to improve your life? And what can you do every day? Do something that actually gives you value of the time in your life, the value that you value every day regardless of what's going on. And for me, that's what's most important is having value for my life in every day. Yes, I still work. I still do things. Today, this is it for me, Aaron, right? I'm here with you and I'm spreading this message. Mm -hmm. This is me doing more. This is, by the way, this is improving my life as well because it's giving me that constant reminder and it's allowing me to think differently, to think in a way, in a space that I want to be at and I want to be in. So this is part of it, you know. So I, I yeah, I've got. Tw- I, and what you know, what's wonderful? I still have twenty hours and twenty-eight minutes left to do more, right? You know. So we we've got so much time in our hands, yet we don't spend it wisely. So I'm gonna, you know, I say to people, look, choose to spend some time wisely. Do something that you love doing with the people you love doing it with. I don't care what it is. Doesn't matter how small it is. Right. There's a lot of rain here today, but usually I'll go outside with my seven-year-old and we have a hurley and a slitter and on a rugby ball and we pass the ball for a couple of hours. We won't do that today, but chances are we'll do something. You know, I mean, certainly do something. And, and myself and Donna will sit, you know, for people who don't know, Donna my, is my fiance, and we will sit together and we'll talk about something meaningful today. We'll just have a conversation, a chat. We don't have to sit there and think, okay, what will we chat about today? It has now, it has now become habitual, right? Chances are I'll, I'll be on the phone to my sons today and we'll have another conversation at some point today with them about something that's important to them. I mean, that's what's important to me, to have that time to, and to afford the time. And I will say it's the, to get that understanding and of time having more value and how you spend that time. So for me, that's really that's really what's my driving force. Yes, Aaron, I'm going to make more money simply because I know I can make a bigger difference in the world mm-hmm. by making more money. Now, some people will say that's a contradiction, but I, I got to tell you, I think you're aware of this, but last November, I went out to Cambodia. I, I've become great friends with a lady called Christina Noble from the Christina Noble Children's Foundation. Christina Noble set up herself up in Vietnam 30 years ago. And in 30 years, she's taken over a million homeless children off the streets and homed them, educated them, nursed them, and just gave them, shared them what she calls pure absolute love and has made such an impact in their lives. So I went out there uh, with a group of people and we were going to raise, uh, raising funds for that charity to support them. So we set a challenge to cycle from Cambodia to Vietnam over, you know, through Cambodia and up through Cambodia up into Vietnam, which was an incredible experience, right? And yeah, I, I broke my leg on the first day, right? So that was me you know, off the bike for the rest of the journey. Yeah. However, you know, I stayed with the team for the, for the rest of the journey and, and, and it just happened to be my 49th birthday when we finished the, the last day and, you know, we decided to go for drinks to celebrate. So we were celebrating my birthday as well. And, and we were sitting down and, and reflecting on the, the journey from Vietnam all the way up there. And there was so much, so much to take in, so many eye-openers and, and real sense of reality of what's going on in the world, you know? And um, and we were sitting there and, and like some of these guys would, would have very high profile jobs and very high profile businesses, you know. And, you know, there was that little moment of, of reflection and people were talking about it saying, you know, that they don't realize how much they really have. 
when they go back, we're talking about changing their lives and really having gratitude for what they have and maybe not doing as much anymore. Maybe stop doing a lot of things they were doing and, you know, the money wasn't important and all these different things about changing their life, but almost kind of bringing their life down to a, a different level. And for me, because I guess I had the time to think because I, you know, I was sitting there with my legs strapped up and not much I could do other than think, right? And I was thinking about it, but I thought about it differently. And I, I was practicing gratitude quite a lot while I was there. And I was because I had a lot of time on my own when the guys are on the bike, for, you know, for eight to ten hours a day. And I was thinking about, you know, why, why did I come here? Why do we do this? Why are we doing what we do? And uh, and yes, I mean, we we met some extreme poverty. But uh, you know, the funny thing is, in the place we met, where there was extreme poverty, there was absolute happiness. There was absolute happiness, right? You wouldn't know there was poverty by their their demeanor and their behavior. I can tell you that. So I thought, just like the rest of the guys, for, for a while I was thinking about, gee, you know what, let's go back again. Like I started this talk, you know, going back to a simpler place in time, you know, and going back to find a simpler place in time. And and then I realized, what am I most grateful for? And I was most grateful, number one, that I could afford to go there. And secondly, that I could afford the time to be there with these people and to have a to be able to have an opportunity to make a positive impact on the life of those children there. And I thought, if we go back and we play small based on this experience and we decide to do less and play smaller, then are we inhibiting ourselves? And are we limiting our ability to find the time and the income to get out there and make a difference like that? And I believe we were. So, and I think the general consensus afterwards is when we go back, we need to do more. We need to do more of what we were doing so we can spend more of it doing things like this to be able to make that impact and create that impact and that difference in these children's lives. So for people, you know, who, who have a negative association around money and, and everything else, allow yourself to put yourself in a position to make as much of it as you can, but not from a place of greed. It has to come from a place of giving and it has to come from a place that you can know where you can actually make a difference and you choose where. And respectfully, this is probably the first time I really talk about, you know, what I would do with it or what I support because it's not what it's about for me, you know. And if I can if I can find an opportunity to make more money and share with people how to do the same so they can have time to spend with the people they love, but also afford that time to get out into the world and make a positive impact and a positive difference in the world, then I think people should make more and I think they're entitled to make more. And I also believe that they should enjoy it. They should have nice things and comforts, whatever it is they choose, because, you know, nobody, nobody needs to suffer on this earth. Nobody deserves to suffer on this earth. So I, I encourage people, just listen, find your true value. Find, find your true value by being the best you can be and earn as much as you can earn within that time and allow yourself to, to make a positive impact and a positive difference. Number one, to your family, but then to the world. Do something that do something that's going to make a difference. It doesn't matter. You don't. We don't need to be the next Nelson Mandela, right? We don't need to be the next Mother Teresa. But every single thing you do makes an impact. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if nobody recognizes it. You don't need recognition. It doesn't matter if anybody, if nobody knows. You know. You know that you're making a difference. And you know when you, I, I see so many people right now who are doing so much for homelessness. And I see uh, people on social media every single day. People are committing their time to it, and I applaud them. Incredible what they're doing. And you know, one thing they need more than anything else right now is the opportunity to create money so they can educate these people, or sometimes just to feed them. So if you want to really help people and you can, you have the ability to make a lot of money and you don't want it, then give it to them. Put it to good use. Put it to good use. Do something with it. And for, for me, Aaron, I uh, actually have the book inside. In, I have all my books here. I'm just looking, but I think I have it inside. I was reading it again. My, my One of my favorite books is The Science of Getting Rich. And in that book, I remember when I read that book for the first time and I was looking through it and, and uh, there's a question there saying, how do you help the poor? Right? Because in my mind, I grew up poor. 
Now, poor in, in from a financial point of view and material goods, right? But not poor in life, you know. Certainly, certainly there are things I would change. Trust me, you know, when, when I hear people say the good old days and no, they weren't that good, right? So I wouldn't be going back there. Yeah. But but I remember reading this and I and when I read this line, I thought I thought about talking to me, right? And I said, How do you help the poor? Do you help the poor by giving donations and by feeding them and by giving them things? And the reality is yes, you do. However, you still keep them poor. So if you really and truly want to help the poor, then choose to become rich and then teach them how to do the same. And I can tell you that when I read that in that book 20 something years ago, that's why I do what I do today. I got that message. That was very clear, very loud to me. That's what I'm here to do. I'm not here to be mediocre. I'm here to be rich and rich in life, rich in, in wealth. If that's what's important, if I can make as much money as I can make, I will make it and I will put it to good use. But number one is I want to be rich in time. I want to be rich in time that I do things that I love doing with the people that I love doing it with. And the funny thing is, I know that I, I've done most things. I'm, I'm, I prefer the simple things. I don't need, I don't need to jump on a plane and go to the Bahamas to enjoy myself. I can go 100 meters up the road with a rugby ball and I can go into my backyard. You know, I can go to my local park. I can go to our own local beach. I can go to a restaurant or coffee shop. You know, I, I can be rich in many other ways. And so can you and so can anybody, all your listeners who are listening here. I think it's the choice of, of that environment. And when do you realize that the simple things enjoy you more than jumping off and being in the Bahamas or whatever exciting things happen? Now, that's a great question, right? Because I have four sons. My eldest son is 29. And because I was so, working so hard to give him the best things in life, I hardly saw him for the first 10 years of his life. Hardly saw him. Um, because I was trying to give him the best things in life. And the one thing that people want is is more time with people that they love, right? I guess I, I, I've recognized it a few times in my journey, but I didn't always pay attention to it. You know, I certainly recognized it when I got sick that time. Uh, I certainly recognized it at times when there were family events. And I, I wasn't even attending family events because I was going to work. I, was, I remember I was a workaholic, Aaron. I was ridiculous the, the amount of hours I used to work. And uh, and if and if there was an, a spare hour in a day, I would rather work it than sleep, you know. So it was it was different times, and um, and then look, there were there were many times in my life that I had different losses, and I think as as you start experiencing losses, you start realizing you know maybe there's something else, maybe there's something different. And I guess when when I was experiencing losses, I just thought I'm tired of all this, and I realized that you can do it in a different way, that you don't have to do things the hard way, you don't have to live life the hard way. And, and just like I said, when I realized too that my first time it ever it ever occurred to me was I was listening to a speaker on stage about 20 years ago, maybe a bit longer. Jeez, I'm, I keep forgetting I'm 49, right? So, you know, I still, I still think I'm 26. But, um, you know, he said statistically, he said that 70% of 70-year-olds are either dead or dead broke. And I knew I wasn't going to be one of those statistics. So I thought, no, I got to change that. I got to do something different. There comes a point in everybody's life and, and they, they realize what's really important to them. And I guess what's important to me, Aaron, may not be important to you. And, and you know what? It doesn't matter. There, there should never be judgment. Most people go through their life judging themselves based on what other people may think. And whatever's important to you is important to you. And I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with going out there and and working really hard and putting in time and putting in hours. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. Well, what I'm saying is, you know, for me, it, it wasn't it wasn't the best choice for me. It wasn't the best opportunity for me. And I do encourage people to maybe think a little bit more about it and think about what it is you really want. And if you take the time to think about it and, and, and get involved in it, then everything changes. And like for now, I mean, I just I just love spending time with the people that are important to me. 
I don't get to spend enough still. I'm still not satisfied with it, right? Because, you know, my, my two eldest sons still live in Limerick. So I got to get them down to see them. My mum still lives in Limerick and I no longer live in Limerick, right? So, you know, and, and, uh, and I'd like to do more of that. I'd like to be more involved as much as I possibly can. And, uh, and we do calls, we do a lot of calls every day. And I'm, I'm grateful because years ago, I wouldn't have the time to do that. You know, and, and I can sit here, sit here and tell you the truth is I, I probably didn't see any uh, that much importance in it, even though it, it's something I want to do. I see people do it all the time to their kids. You know, people are on, on these these things now, you know, these mobile phones, right? And, and you know, the, somebody's trying to talk to them. They're going, yeah, 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 yeah. One minute, one minute now. Oh, yeah, give me a minute here. Yeah, I'm, I'm doing something. And you see, I'm doing something. I'll talk to you later. And people are just dismissed other people's lives because of what? There's nothing that important. And I think when people realize that, then they'll change what to do. Now, it is important when you're running your business or building your business and you give committed time to it. But give committed time to the business instead of just doing stuff. Most people do a lot of stuff, a lot of activity, but it's not activity that gives them a result. So you got to figure out what you need to do, what activities you need to do and to give your results. And then, you know what, lock up and go home and spend time with the people that are important in your life. And that to me is what, that's personally what I find that the most people I meet is what they're looking for. They're looking to spend more time doing the things that they love. But the fear is always getting in the way. The fear of, well, if I stop too soon, what will happen? You, if I don't have the plan, what will happen? If I don't do this, what will happen? If I do that, this might happen. And all those fears that keep driving people all the time and they keep keeping people moving in a direction that most people are not satisfied with. So I think for people, they need to give themselves a better chance and give themselves more credit for what they're capable of doing. But creating a plan around their life and planning what you want to do and getting involved in that process to have the life that you deserve. And, and honestly, I don't care what people think. Whatever it is you have in your mind, whatever you can imagine, whatever makes you feel good is what you deserve in life. Whatever makes you feel good, as long as you do it with good intention, then that's what you deserve in life. And that's what everybody should have. I don't believe anybody in this world should suffer. I don't feel that anybody in this world should not have enough, whatever enough is. You know what? We should always strive to keep growing. We should always look to keep growing, no matter what level we're at. There are certain things, Aaron, I'm not prepared to do. You know, and, and I certainly, in the world I'm in at the moment, I could be traveling the world on a day-to-day -day basis, right? I look at some of the great speakers, the, 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 the guys that are out there, and I've worked with most of them. Right, most of them came here and worked with me in Dublin. And I don't want that plane, trains and automobile lifestyle. It's not for me. I, I love my life and I love the people in my life. Why would I be spending most of my time away from them sitting, you know, when it appears like a glorious lifestyle to be jet, jet setting around the world? Well, you're sitting on your own in an airplane. It's not that friendly. You're trying to catch up and sleep, right? Because you're going through different time zones. You know, you get in, you, you meet some great people, but then you go back to the hotel room. You spend the nights on your own in your hotel room. You know, it's not as glamorous as it seems. Well, not for me, it's not. Maybe that's for somebody, but that's my choice. And I, you know, one thing I would say is I spend lots of moments building memories. And that's what does it for me is building memories. And that's, I'm, I can tell you, you know, I'm going to die of old age, right? And old age is in my, my idea of old age is 112, right? So that's my intention. That's my setting up my intention. And I'm going to do everything I can to stay alive until then, but also alive during the journey, right? Not waiting until I have to struggle and fight it. I'm going to stay alive during the journey every single day, do something that makes me feel wonderful. Doesn't mean I have to overcome challenges or help people who are going through challenges, of course. But I still choose to do something every day that's going to improve my life. That's not always got to do with money. More often than not, it has nothing to do with money. But I still can't lose the sight of the fact that if you have the ability to make more money, you should and put it to good use. As the first time, I think this is the longest conversation I've ever had around money, actually. <laughs> but I think it's important for people to realize it, that it's okay and it's okay, you know. And uh, But don't make money your God, that's for sure. Being a workaholic, did you feel like you had to make sacrifices that you regret now that you made? 
Okay, well, I, I suppose, look, the simple answer to that, Aaron, is I have no regrets. and I, I, I never live a life of regret. I never look back at regrets. Um, I could look back and think there are things that could have done differently and maybe I, I probably, in hindsight, should have done differently. But I don't regret anything because I am where I am because of the things that I've done, rightly or wrongly, right? But, like, looking back, I, I can say, yeah, I, I, I would like to have spent more time doing certain things with people that were important to me. I would like to have spent more time and, and put more importance on me just working. I felt I had to serve everybody. I had to help everybody. I couldn't say no. If somebody wanted me to do a job for them, I'd do a job for them and I'd give them wholeheartedly. And the sacrifices were, yes, my, my family were sacrificed for sure, um, which which was something when I look back on, you know, it came to a point when I realized that. And, you know, you kind of go, well, I made all those sacrifices and, you know, all these different things. Like, what's the point now, right? It's easy to say, well, what's the point now? It's too late, but it's never too late. And there came a point in my life where I said, no, actually, enough is enough. Enough is enough. And um, when I made the choice, I decided I had to change. I know something had to change in order for me to have time. And, uh, and like, I, I often remember, and uh, you know, for anybody who, who's listening to this, and you may have some workaholics that are listening to this, and maybe they'd be familiar, you know. going I, You go away and you decide to actually take time off to go on a holiday. Imagine that. <laughs> Taking time away from work to go on a holiday, right? And then, you know, you go on holiday and the mobile phone had to come with you. And you're taking calls. And then maybe, maybe you might take a week away to go for a week's holidays. It takes you two to three days to wind down, right? And then all of a sudden, you're two days before you're going back, you start winding up again. And that's not a holiday, you know. Or maybe you're so exhausted from the time you're here that when you do take a holiday and you're going down by the pool and the kids want you to jump in and play with them and you're saying, yeah, in a few minutes, and you're lying on the sunbed and you're just exhausted and you fall asleep and you spend most of your day sleeping around the pool because you're exhausted from the work you're doing before you got there. You know, so we could look back and say, would I change things? Well, well, the reality is I did change things because of the things I learned. But I don't live re- regret. I, I, I don't think we should because regret is, is a way of punishing yourself. And I don't believe anybody punished because, you know, when, when I was a workaholic and I was doing what I was doing, you know, I felt I was doing the right thing and I was doing it with good intention. And, you know, so for people who, who feel maybe have beaten themselves up because they're workaholics and they didn't commit the time, Listen, if your intent, what was your intention doing this? Your intention was you don't do something better to build a better opportunity. And you should never live with regret. You should never take that with you. You should never say to yourself, oh, I should have done this, I should have done that. It doesn't matter. It's the past. You can't change it. So I don't believe in living with regret. I believe in, you know what, what do we learn from it? What can we do differently? Let's go and do it. Let's make it happen. You've hung out some inspiring and international people who, over the years of hanging around with these amazing people. What did they teach you? Well, I like to think that they were hanging around me, Aaron. <laughs> you know, well, I mean, they did come to Dublin to speak at my seminars, right? So, but um, yeah, what did, I, what did they teach me? That value was number one. Understanding and appreciating your value. That was number one. Um, and I, I would say generically, that's something I picked up from all these people. Because one thing to do is they value themselves, they value their time, they value the effort they put into learning their, their skill. And, and that's something I definitely learned from them. I could go through a list of different things, but I, I, I think I, I had that in there somewhere. I, I, I always knew it by being the best it could be. And, and the reality is the only reason I got to, to work with these people and, and for them to come here is based on the value and the perceived value they had of me. And I think another great learning I actually had was the acceptance of that value. To accept that, you know what, yeah, if, if these people value me in this way, I have to be able to accept it and, and appreciate it when they share it with me because I was never that good at taking compliments, right? And most people are not, you know, and, and, uh, and people speak very highly of you. Most people get embarrassed about it. So I don't get embarrassed about it anymore. I accept it and I accept, you know what, then I must be doing something right for what I want to do. And my message must be clear enough that if people see me and know they get me, they understand what it is, the message I want to declare, I suppose, to people. I, yeah, so value is certainly the, is the number one thing that I got from those. I understand the value of who you are as a human being. 
and understanding as a human being. If you create more value as a human being, then more people value you. And uh, and when most people value you, more and more and more opportunities keep opening up. That's my, I guess, my greatest learning from all of them. I, I would have learned something individually, you know, skills for sure, right? Uh, particularly Brian Tracy, with, again, with the mastermind concept and getting, you know, reading on the mastermind concept is not the same as actually doing it, right? And I certainly took the tools and the strategies from working with Brian for over 20-something years and, and, of course, Jim Rowan, right? And, and it's the tools and the, the application of the tools and learning how to apply them and how to strategize properly. And I was always a strategic thinker anyway, but I did didn't understand what that meant and, and so I got a better understanding of all this from working with these people and how to apply it into my life and then and how to share it with other people so they can apply it into their lives too so they're, they're my biggest learnings from these people and also you know what you you is to understand and accept that not everybody's going to get you and that's okay not everybody's going to get you and that's okay and you have to find yourself in a space where you step up and you step up and you become a leader not a follower. And you find your peers and you often hear me talk about the top 20% of the people. And I think I only shared a post on my social media um, in the last day or two when I say to people, you should never lower your standards for people who are not prepared to raise theirs. And so many people will lower their standards because other people think they belong where they belong. And that's not being disrespectful to other people either. It's just a belief or a program that they've bought into and taken into their lives. And it doesn't serve them. But unfortunately, most people try to instill their beliefs on other people. Just what I'm saying right now, by the way, it's just my opinion and it's my belief. And you have to take it whether it sits well with you or not. But I certainly learned that from working with these people is that value and that belief in the possibilities and, and understanding that people believe in me. So the more people believe in me, the more I can believe in myself. And it just reinforces that. So they're my, they're my greatest learnings from working with some of those guys, you know. It's interesting. In order to step up, you have to believe in yourself to be outstanding and meet them and show this is why I can be a value to them and to you. The reality is um, everybody believes in themselves, Aaron. Everybody. And everybody starts out in this world with belief. And like you, you see kids, I mean, I see kids now all the time, you know, I mean, I've had four of them, right? So I, mean, I, can, I certainly I can consider myself an expert. But at a very young age, they compete. They compete in everything, right? They think they're superheroes. They think they can jump off of buildings. They go, their, their imagination goes wild. They can do so much in their, in their imagination. They go out onto the field and they race, they run. They say, you know what, a new pair of runners, like, my little boy got new runners yesterday. He said, look, want to see how fast I can run in these? And he's competing, he's running, he's running, right? And he's just getting involved. He never sees himself as a loser, ever. He never see, he never sees, well, he's in a one-man race, so there's no chance he could lose anywhere, right? But it doesn't matter. He would get out there, and even with his friends, I watched him with his friends, and, and they play, and they do things, and they compete with each other. But none of them lose. None of them lose. They all believe in themselves. They believe, you know, and, and if, if they're playing, like we did growing up, cowboys and Indians, well, everyone believes they're the best cowboy, and everyone else believes they're the best Indian if they decide whatever they want to become. And then you'll have somebody who decides, well, I'll be the sheriff. And they automatically find a place. They role play into different places. And they all believe in that moment that they're the sheriff or they're the cowboy or they're an Indian. Who, who are we to tell them they're wrong? Who in this world has a right to tell you you're wrong? So you start out believing in yourself. And then unfortunately, you start becoming conditioned to believe the different based on society's opinion or other people's opinions. Right. So we go back into my life and think of where I came from. And I mean this respectfully because, you know, I'm quite proud of where I come from. And most people where we're in the city I come from don't particularly hold people in my neighborhood in high regard, right? Because we came from the wrong side of town. You know, and not only that, we uh, you don't have money. And most people out there are uneducated, right? And not only that, when I was growing up there, over 80% of the people were unemployed. So unemployment brings other problems. 
And unfortunately, when, when that happens, then society start to judge whether we really believe it or not. And the judgment is, you know, people out there must be involved in crime of somewhere. Some people are, by the way, but most people are not. And they, they have a, a certain interpretation who people come from a certain place. So therefore, they have an expectation. So based on that expectation, they treat people differently. That's why even growing up for, for people, they couldn't put their address on a CV because the chances of them getting the job are slim and none because immediately there's a judgment on them based on their address. And then also, we see it right now, I, the biggest fear I see people coming to me with is they feel they have a lack of education. And they feel on the CV, and in some cases, if their education is not on the CV, there's a certain judgment made straight away that these will be lower class workers and they get the lower class pay, right? Because they don't have education. Instead of realizing the value of experience that people can bring. And when you start out in life, you have that belief, just like those kids, you have just belief. You believe you can do anything. And But somehow, somewhere along the way, you become conditioned to believe you don't. Because society says people from that area, most people out there won't get a job. You look around you, you have social proof. Over 80% of the people have no jobs. There must be truth in it. And not only that, when you are going up the street and respectfully, I have the, I have the greatest respect for the police, by the way, greatest respect. However, there is always a chance that if somebody is going to get stopped and questioned by the police, it's going to be somebody from that area, more so than anywhere else. So here we have more social proof. And once we start getting this social proof, you start taking it on board as a belief. And you become conditioned to believe that that's the truth. The truth is that people like us don't amount to much. We don't get opportunities. Most of us don't even get jobs. So once you take that condition on, you, it becomes a belief. If that becomes a belief, then it limits your capability. So all of those conditions that we could have been conditioned, if you like, a program to believe to be the truth, then I could, I could justify any one of them. But I don't because I never bought into that program. I never bought into that conditioning that people think that people like us. So I allow myself to be the best I can be. And it doesn't matter. I can say this in my scenario, but this is the truth of anybody. I, I recently have been mentoring a guy who's on a, a, an income of a quarter million a year. And he's in the same position. He's, he's in a position where he feels like he's an imposter because people make him believe that. And yet the man is probably more capable. He's more, ca he's more capable of learning three times what he's earning. But that imposter syndrome comes in based on the condition that he picked up on and somebody keeps telling him. Uh, you're not that good. You're not that. You might be good, but you're not that good, right? And he says, "I know I'm good, but I'm not that good." And he's using the same terms, the same message that this person keeps sharing with him. Uh, you, you might be good, but you're not that good. And he conditions that to be a belief instead of actually allowing himself to be the best he can be. And it doesn't matter, you, you know. Again, he doesn't need to compete with anybody or compare himself to anybody. And that—that's where I see the danger: is people allowing themselves to compare themselves with other people, or, or trying to compete with other people based on what they believe other people expect. Just be the best you can be, and believe that you can be, and believe that you can do, be, do, and have. You may have to learn a set of skills. You may have to have some new knowledge that you might need. You may have to change your attitude, but you're capable of it. Of anything, there is nothing in this world that you or I can't learn to do. Nothing. If you're prepared to put in the effort and the time and allow yourself to believe in it, there's nothing that you or I or anybody can do in this, can't do in this world. You can do anything. You can be anything. You can have anything you want. Nobody has a right to tell you no. So again, do not lower your standards for people who refuse to raise theirs. Keep stepping up. Fascinating how mind is our successor and our prisoner at the same time, but it's how we view the environment around us to project that success in some way, which is fascinating. People don't think, oh yeah, you know, I'm not good, but if you dig deep, there's a psychological component that's stopping them to be the best version of themselves. 
Yeah, environment has such uh, an impact, either positive or negative. You, you know, I, I think you've had Donna on with you, Aaron. Have you, have you had Donna Kennedy on with you? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and I mean, she wrote a fantastic program, and it's in her book, The Confidence to Succeed, where she talks about environmental programming and how it affects how you behave and how you think. And, uh, and it's an incredible insight that she kind of breaks down the science of the brain and the way people think and uh, and simplifies it for people to understand how, how your, your environment is actually impacting how you think and how you behave. And, uh, and it's incredible. It's incredible. There's so much to do with it, you know, it's so much to do. So, I, I, you know, what? I, that's what I'm going to say to people here who are listening. You know, encourage people. Encourage people. No matter, no matter whether you believe it's possible or not, don't get in their way. Encourage them. Encourage people to go out and give, them, give themselves a chance. Encourage children all the time. You know, if, if children want to use their imagination and think they're going to become astronauts or the next president, then just encourage them. So what if they don't make it, right? But don't, don't you be the one to get in the way, right? Encourage them. Encourage people to do. If I meet somebody, I meet people in their 60s and 70s. I, I, a couple of years ago, I met a guy, a guy who was 80 years of age setting up his first business, his new business. Sorry, not his first business. Because he lost everything at 80. And you know what? His business is thriving now. And that's seven. He's 87 now, this man. His business is thriving. Thriving. I mean, you wouldn't believe it. And he is more alive than most 21-year-olds you meet today. You know, so, and, and it's just because nobody told him no. Nobody ever told this man he couldn't do it. And if they did, he didn't hear them. And in your own uh, journey past it, you talk about busy mess and quality over quantity. But did you understand that your environment was stopping you in, in some way? Oh, well, you know, I guess in, in ways my environment challenged me. I, I got to always say it to my parents, I mean, I am so grateful for my parents that they, they never got in my way, that they allowed me to go out into the world and become what I wanted to become. I'm so grateful for that. They never got in my way. I had certain people in my environment that, that encouraged me, and I think they they had such an impact that I just drowned out the rest. You know, I I was hungry enough to want to do it, to do whatever I wanted to do, and I, I knew I didn't need permission from anybody. Right? Um, there were times I I was challenged by my environment, but it didn't stop me. It didn't stop me because I knew there was more, and, and maybe maybe it was because of certain experiences or some people that were surrounding me as well in my environment. Because I had some very positive influencers in my environment growing up too. I probably didn't recognize them when I was growing up uh, and I probably didn't recognize the, the positive impact they were having in my life. But I think my environment supported me, but also challenged me for sure. There was a time, yes, I stopped. Yeah, I, I, a time I stopped and I, and I thought about going into business first. And I, I decided to talk about it and speak out loud and tell people. And I was made fun of, um, which which affected me and affected how I felt and how I thought. So I actually, that's why I got the job in the factory, actually, to be honest with you. I decided, you know, I was going to set up my business and people thought it was hilarious. And, but too many people thought it was hilarious. But the reality is, wasn't that they were right. Is that I spoke to too many of the wrong people, <laughs> you know, and, uh, and I, I went to the wrong side of my environment, if that makes sense. So I just chose to change that. And I chose to get out and find the people who had what I want and learn from them and listen to them and take encouragement from them. And, you know, for the rest of the people, that's OK if that's what they believe. It's got nothing to do with me. And, uh, and I'm here as living proof now that it's possible. And you can be, do, and have anything you want in this world. Yeah. And yes, there are more things I'm going to want, Aaron. There's more things I'm going to do to get there. I'm only 49 years of age. I've got a long way to go yet. I'll retire at 110, and I'll enjoy the last two years of my life. <laughs> Pat, uh, throughout your entire journey, I know you've talked about many people inspire you, but is there one particular person that has kind of molded you or shaped you or inspired you in a particular way? You know, uh, this actually came up in an interview um, a while back, and... I, 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 was, I was sent the questions to the interview, if you like, pre the interview, and that question came up. And uh, and they were talking about, you know, in the, in, in the world I'm in and, and the industry I've been in, 
the people I surrounded myself with and you know and, and we talk about them and who did you find most inspiration from and, and I knew what the question was and, and, and it was in terms of the giants of industry were like and so I started writing and I wrote down Tony Robbins and Brian Tracy Bob Proctor Mark Victor Hansen who, who else was there and I started thinking about all these people that I've had the pleasure of working with right and being around and, and, and as I'm going through it I was narrowing it down to more and more people some people who would be lesser known if you like as well who had a positive impact on my own um, mentors over the years and as I started working back I, I was left with three people because my dad was a major influencer in my life he was my best friend growing up I spent so much time with him but I had an aunt of mine, my, my auntie Brady, who was exceptional to me. I mean, I, I would say my ability to learn, I got from her. She taught me how to read and write before I even started school. My first day in school, I stood up and I read the front page of Irish Independent when everybody was playing with Lego, right? You know, and, uh, and that came from my aunt Brady. So she taught me things about the world, if you, you know, introduced me to the world, if you like, in, through stories. And she taught me how to read with the JWT sun brochures, right? <laughs> the sun, you know, the, so not only I'm looking at these pictures of people in, in tropical paradise, right, and in different worlds that I never, I never assumed I would ever see. But I wonder sometimes, is that what was it imprinted into the back of the mind? Now that I understand it, environmental programming, and yes, it was. But I, I bring it right down to my greatest inspiration is my mum. And when I, and this was shocking when I got this realization, I have to tell you, shocking because I don't believe I've done enough to justify my appreciation for my mum and what she's done for us. Because when we were growing up, and as you can imagine, we, you know, 70 pounds a week, or 71 pounds a week, and it was actually to make that stretch. Like, you know, we didn't, we didn't all live at home. There was not 16 of us living at home. But at any one time, there would have been 11 of us living at home. It's just still a big family, right? And, uh, and right, I mean, right now, I, I, go, I could go to the corner shop and spend 70 quid in, in the garage, you know, and walk out with nothing, you know? So I think about it and I think, I, I'm looking out of my office here right now and I'm looking out the window and it's, it's a lot of rain, right? It's a lot of rain. And even on days like today, we lived about four miles from the city centre. And in the city centre, we had some of the bigger department stores, right, which had their own brand of foods. And which made with their own brand, they were a lot cheaper than you could buy in your local supermarkets, etc. My mum would walk that four miles, but twice a week she would walk into the city, in, in, even in this weather that we have here right now. And she would buy the shopping because it meant she could stretch her money further. She must have had an incredible desire to make sure that we didn't go hungry. And it was that desire that she had, there was a driving force, that she would go into the city at least twice a week. But she would walk home, even in weather like today, she would walk home carrying seven, eight, sometimes even more full shopping bags of shopping carried him in her hands and I you know and I see people now you know you, you again if they jump out of the car run into the garage get a few little things and they give out about the pain in their fingers from carrying their plastic bag from the from the shop to the car right because my mum would do this with seven eight and often more full shopping bags and carry them four miles home regardless of the weather and she would have to do this maybe an average of twice a week and that was done out of complete and absolute desire her desire to make us eat as well like to help us survive to have what we wanted we didn't go hungry and, and thankfully we never went hungry you know we may not have had a lot of treats in our in our life but we had we always we were always taken care of we were always fed well and uh, and that comes down to my mom and that was that desire and uh, and i guess that was also part of my driving force and these are the reasons i say to you when you know, about what was my driving force is being able to go back and do something for her and um and yeah she still lives a simple life she still lives in in the same home 40 something years later right she still lives in the same area and is, loves it there and has great neighbors and is very well respected but thankfully she doesn't have to walk eight miles a day just to feed us anymore right that she's gone beyond that 
So that, I, I can tell you, I, I could come up with hundreds of stories of, of places I've been and some of the people I met and that, that I made on the spot decisions that changed, changed my life in, in a heartbeat. But I can tell you, they all stem from that. They all stem from that experience of, of what I learned from my mom, the desire she had to succeed. And for her success meant getting enough and making sure there was enough and making that money stretch for her to be able to take care of her family. And that to me is the greatest form of success, greatest form of success. So, you know, that was part of my dream. I, I want to succeed too and I have a desire to do more. I have a desire to, to make a very positive impact in this world. And I have this desire to, to make a difference, you know, to everybody in my life. And I, I'm sure and certain that some, not everybody's going to get it and that's okay. I'm not looking to try and prove myself to anybody, nor I'm looking trying to compete with anybody. I just believe right now that I'm absolutely outstanding and therefore I am. And I can say this respectfully, I mean this, this has not been egotistical. I really feel it and I believe it and I'm not trying to prove it and I'm not looking for anybody's approval and I'm not looking to convince anyone to believe me either. And that's okay, I'm fine with all that, but I believe it and I feel it and therefore I intend to be it and I will do whatever it takes. I will do everything I can do with good intention to get out there and make a difference in the world. But I will value my time and my energy as well and I will value myself in this journey. So I get something from it too. And I think it's really important that people need to understand that. You deserve to get something from it too. And if you understand that, you will do more and you will have more and you can be more. I, I do think that, you know, our, our true inspiration is our parents because we live with them for, for a period of time. But to get to that that innate understanding of this is who I am, I'm happy where I am. That's a choice, Aaron. I think here's what happens, you see. We, we, you're looking to change, right? And people think in order for that to happen, I have to change something. And yes, you do. And unfortunately, people think you know, it takes such a long time to change because you're basing it on past experiences and basing it on everything that's happened up to now. And the reality is change happens the moment you make the decision. In an instant, change happens. But the problem is it takes a long time to prepare for change. And most people spend a long time trying to prepare themselves for change instead of just making the decision. And it doesn't mean it's not going to be perfect. You're not going to get it all right in the world go. But you know what? Make the decision to change right now and let the world prepare to catch up with you, right? But once you make the decision, once you choose to be outstanding, by the way, you don't need a trophy, right? You don't need a trophy to prove that you are. You don't need anybody else's recognition to say that you are. You just choose to be yourself right now. And then you think, well, if I was to be outstanding, what, what, what would that look like? What would, I, what would I behave like? What would I feel like? What would I look like? What would I sound like? And if I was being, being the best version of me, what would I be doing differently than I'm doing now? And just choose to do it. Just choose to do it. And it doesn't have to be perfect for everybody. It just needs to be perfect for you. And choose to be the best you can be. And you can keep improving the actions. You can keep improving the actions on that journey. But who says you're not perfect already? Who makes that choice? So you have to ask yourself, are you perfect as you are? Yes, you are. Can you get better at doing certain things? Of course. But that doesn't mean that you should judge yourself or allow anybody else to judge you. You just choose to be the best you can be. And everybody can be the best they can be. And that means going out there, putting on a smile on your face, taking on board. Yes, that life gets in the way. We understand that. But I can still deal with it. I can still manage almost anything. And when I meet people, I want to know that every person that I meet, when they walk away from meeting me, they walk away feeling a hell of a lot better than they did before they met me. And when I, when I meet people, and you know, when, when I go to Limerick, I'm beginning to realize there's a lot more people in Limerick I don't know anymore, right? But there was a time I knew every, almost everybody in Limerick. Of course, younger people are growing up now, and, and I've been out of Limerick for, for quite a while. But when I go to, if I go to Limerick and I decide to walk down the main street, down the Collins Street, and I start to the top and I'm walking on there, I will stop and shake hands with 30, 40 people that I meet. 
And when you know what, when I meet, when I say to them, you know, Aaron, it's good to meet you. And they say, Pat, you know, it's good to meet you. I know that they actually mean it because there's no agenda. I know they mean it because they, and I know that they know I mean it. And my intention is every time I meet somebody walking on the street, I will stop and I will say hello and I will shake their hand if I know them. And I will find something to compliment them on, to make them recognize there's something good about their life. I may ask them a question and congratulate them on something they've achieved. No matter how small it might seem to anybody else, it's going to be important to them. And that's encouraging other people to be the best they can be. I don't engage in gossip. So I will see something in them. I will hear something they've said to me. I'll ask a question. I will say, well done. Congratulations. Are you looking good? You're looking great. Or it may just be simply, you know what? Great to meet you. I'm delighted I met you today. Give my regards to your family and take care of yourself. Even that in itself can be enough. That can be the one thing that somebody needs to hear today. And that's what people want to hear is the recognition of I'm outstanding and the present of your excellence. And people want to accept it. They want to take ownership of it. They want to believe it. So I think it's our duty to tell them and make sure that they believe it because they're being preconditioned by too much other nonsense, right? And people deserve to know that they matter. People deserve to know that their very being here is making a difference. That's what people should be conditioned to believe. Pat, when you meet people in the, in the street and they say, hey, Pat, you know, if there's one piece of advice or, or one outstanding moment or thing, what would it be? Keep going. <laughs> you know what? If you don't know better, keep going, right? People say to me, I'm, I'm trying to do something and I don't know if it's working, but then keep going, right? Because if you don't know better, chances are it's working. You just haven't seen the, the fruits of your labor just yet. But, but keep going. Give yourself a chance, you know? Give yourself a chance. And every now and again, give yourself a pat in the back. You know, give yourself a pat in the back and just keep just keep going. Keep going through life. Keep enjoying life. But make sure to take the time to enjoy it. That's what I say to people. You know, it doesn't matter what you're doing. And it's not about comparing yourself to anybody. Just keep going. If you're doing something with good intention and you're making a positive impact in people's lives in any way, shape or form, just keep going. Keep doing it. And when you reach 110 and you retire, I wonder what life would look like then. Oh, it's going to be a huge party, Aaron. That's what it's going to be. And, and, and 110 years of age, and and, uh, and we'll invite everybody I've ever met in the world. So we, you know, I don't think we'll have we'll have to find a venue that's big enough for that, right? Uh, maybe Croke Park, 100,000 people are thereabouts. But yeah, but listen, you know, what life would be like then, Aaron? I believe is what life is like today. It's the memories, it's the memories I've been building, the things I remember, the things I, the, the fondness I have for the people that have come into my life, the people have made a difference in my life, and and uh, and the moments. That's that's what I I I truly believe life would be like when I reach 110. You know. Um, I remember growing up thinking 50 was old. 50 was ancient. I'm 50 in, in December, right? So I'm almost ancient in my old belief. And uh, and I would have thought, well, what would life be like when you're 50? And my life right now is it's not really my life right now. It's the memories that I've been building up to now, and the memories I choose to build, and the ones that I'm fond of. And as a result of that, that means I'll just do more, you know. And whatever happens in 110 will only be a result of the choices I make today. That's one thing. That's one thing I can be absolutely sure about. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Pat, you know, we've all been locked down, and we're all growing and learning, experiencing it, and we're we're coming out of that. But out of this this time, has this time been a productive, motivating exploration time for you to to understand the the true essence that past lottery has in them? Not a lot has changed for us in lockdown because we spend most of our days together as a, anywhere. Um, yeah, it's, it's affected our ability to travel, etc. And maybe connect with people in, in a physical way, the way we normally would. But, you know, we, we've used the tools that are there in terms of like, like right now, here me and you are, we're on Zoom, right? And we, we made use of the tools that are there to stay connected with people. 
and uh, and has has made me become more aware of fear, people's fear, and what drives people and what motivates people. And, and I, I'm, I'm so thankful that you know a, a simple idea that I came up with at the beginning of this lockdown has done so much for so many people. And I wasn't even expected. It's just I knew I had an expectation for a group of people that we could support them, help them by setting up this network. And then we just expanded it and we allowed them bring other people in as well, I suppose, if you like, and involve other people and invite other people into the network and we can help people grow with like-minded people. And, you know, again, yesterday I had, a, you know, I've had more than one conversation about it. And people have told me, some people have said it, it's gone so far as it's in, it saved their life because without it, they were in such a bad place. And and, um, and another person I spoke to yesterday, she said, listen, Pat, she said, you don't realize what this has done. She said, it's kept me saying through this. You know, I have, she has lost her business. It took eight years to build. All of her team have gone, abandoned ship. And as a start again, I said, in the middle of all this, without that, she said, I, I, I would have just, I don't know what I would have done, she said, but it wasn't going to be good. And uh, she said, so now, she said, all of a sudden, as a result of that network, she's starting to build a team again. And life is even looking better than it was before then. And, uh, and I've also learned that, you know, that fear is such a motivating factor, such a motivating factor, and it drives so many people. Um, and it doesn't really serve that many people. My, my biggest concern at the moment is most people running back to normal going back to normal instead of seeing the opportunity. Now, I do understand we all need normality in our lives too. Okay, we need some form of normality in our lives. But a lot of people are going back to what wasn't working before. And I saw this as a huge opportunity for people to sit back and replan and rethink and actually get more involved in the process. And for those people that I know have done that, I can see them the fruits of their labor. I can see them having time for their life now because they've been able to regroup and replan and then schedule things into their plan in order to when this lockdown lifts that they actually have a better life and a better opportunity than they had before it. So, you know, and I accept that that's not the way for everybody. There's some people have had major losses, but I would be hopeful that people will see their true strengths and they've come through this together and it has created a huge sense of community, which is fantastic, you know, and... Um, for me, with the exception of not traveling, it has actually more of a positive impact, matter of fact, because I, I, you know, to see the opportunity that came up that probably would not have came up. I'm actually quite sure it would, it would never have came up had we not gone into lockdown to be able to support and help more people. So I think I just found another way, another way. And because we're doing it the way we do it, we can reach out further and further afield and bring more people into the room with us, but without, without the expense of time and travel and leaving people behind. So that's what lockdown has done for me, I have to say, you know. And if people want to get in touch with you, where can they find you? Well, if they just Google my name, you'll find me on social media. You'll find me on Facebook or LinkedIn in particular. They're the ones I use primarily. Or you can just reach out and, and drop me an email at pat at patslattery.com. So I'll just go to patslattery.com and you can reach out through my website. That's probably the easiest way to, to, to reach out to me. Pat, it's been a pleasure having you on. and Thank you so much. Thank you, Aaron. It's been an absolute pleasure. Loved every moment. Thank you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bolinbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.